You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Every week, we gather to read and reflect on an ancient book written in three languages over the course of thousands of years by numerous authors on the other side of the world. Think about that for just a minute. Because when you put it that way, the practice almost seems a little strange, somewhat surprising, maybe a little out of touch. And yet we do it again and again and again, and we would do well to reflect from time to time on why. What's the specific reason that we gather every week and during the week to read the Bible? Why do we give it so much energy, so much time, again and again and again? One reason is that it's in our Wesleyan Methodist DNA. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, published his sermons in several volumes, and in the preface, he wrote these words. He says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to to land safe on that happy shore. God himself, Wesley said, condescended to teach me the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Wesley said, oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Wesley put a love for the scriptures into the DNA of the early Methodist movement. And it has followed us at our best all the way. And when we maintain our love for scripture, we are working at our best. Wesley understood the value of the Bible. He tried to instill that in the people called Methodists. He understood that the scriptures contain the words of life. And he understood the reality that we must embrace. There's only one book that can transform everyone. One book in the whole world that can impact everyone uniquely. Now, the uniqueness of the Bible is the only book of its kind, is emphasized by Paul in his description of God's inspiration of it. Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. There's only one collection of writings, the Bible, that God has seen fit to inspire. It's a surprising process, really, if we think about it, of all the books that are written uh, throughout the ages, different literature, different authors, that God took this group of people over millennia who spoke different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and somehow mysteriously for the benefit of his people, for the benefit of the world, 
for all our benefit, somehow, mysteriously, he inspired and influenced. The Greek word translated inspired literally means God breathed. He breathed these words into the mind and thought of people like Paul and people like Luke and people like Isaiah and people like Moses. Over this extended period of time. So that we would have these texts and he could work through them to transform us. Inspired by God. It gives us a sense of God's creativity too, doesn't it? Because throughout the Bible we run into all different kinds of texts. You've got everything from legal code to poetry. Historical narrative to symbol-driven, apocalyptic, difficult-to-handle sometimes texts. Letters, prophecies, so many different kinds of things. And God, in His wisdom and in His creativity, uses these texts to make Himself known. Right? For God to breathe into it means He puts His life into it. And he does it for us so that we will have the words of life. And there's no other book like that. A lot of books are important. Uh, if you know me, you know that I appreciate a good book. <laughs> you may have borrowed one from me at some point or another. Uh, but all those books none of them compare to the uniqueness of the Scripture. They may be inspired in some way, but they're not inspired by God in the way that the Scriptures are inspired by God. Old and New Testaments. So there's only one book. It is unique, even though it is varied in many ways. Now, we've talked about how God wants to use the Bible to impact us and transform our lives. It's important to recognize that if it's going to have that transforming power in our lives, if it's going to be transformative for all of us, it also has to be true. Right? Because if the Bible isn't true, then it won't transform, it will deform us. Right? Lies don't improve us, do they? <laughs> they don't make positive transformation in our life. They deform us. They create distrust. They create damage. Broken relationships. So if we're going to understand and recognize and experience the transformative power of the Scriptures, we've got to understand that it's true. And it matters, friends, because the trustworthiness of Scripture has been under assault for centuries from all sides. The trustworthiness of Scripture has been under assault from all sides. But if it's going to be effective, it's going to make a difference. It's got to be true. One way that we can know it's true is because God is true. And this is really the thing for me. This is one reason I do what I do. Right? The trustworthiness of Scripture is a matter of God's character. I believe the Bible is true 
because I believe God is true. God isn't a liar. He's faithful. He's consistent. He keeps his promises. He speaks truth. That's one reason there's such an emphasis in the commandments of God. The Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Why? Because God doesn't lie. And if you're going to be his people, you've got to begin to embody his character. And in those commandments, from the start, when God called Israel to be his people, one of the first major things they had to learn is that their God always tells the truth. He's not like the gods of other nations. If you read through Greek mythology and Roman mythology, you find that the gods lie all the time. They mislead people, they act deceptively, they're always trying to be crafty and, and conniving, and they, they deceive people constantly. The God of the Bible wants his people to know from day one, you can trust me. You can trust me. And how do you know you can trust me? I'm going to keep my promises. And so all the promises, all the way through the Bible, promises to Adam and Eve that one day you're going to have a child who's going to redeem you and crush the head of the serpent. Promises to Abraham that one day you're going to have a family who's going to bless all the nations of the world. Promises to Moses and his people, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Promises through Ezekiel, that one day I'm going to take out your stony hearts and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can obey my commandments. I'm going to rescue you from captivity. I'm going to bring you to myself and I'm going to use you again to bless the nations. And the scripture says all of those promises, everyone from beginning to end are yes in Jesus. You know God tells the truth because you see the truth in the body of Jesus. You can trust somebody who will suffer for you. You can trust somebody who will die for you. And Jesus shows us as he embodies the living God as he incarnates the creator, the word made flesh, the one who was God and was with God in the beginning, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the one who holds all things together, condescended in self-giving love to Bethlehem and to Golgotha and to the cross. Why? To keep his promises. He is always true. You can trust somebody who will be crucified for you. They're not trying to get anything from you. They're not trying to pull one over on you. They're not being crafty. <laughs> they just love you. Jesus loves you. And you can trust his love. The trustworthiness of Scripture... It's not a formula. It's not a long theological argument. Lots of books have been written about it. Lots of arguments have been made. But at the end of the day, for me, if God is true, his word is true. 
If God is trustworthy, what he says must be trustworthy. And here's the thing, friends. If I didn't believe that, I would have a different job. I would not get out of bed at 4.30 on Sunday mornings to come up here and do my best to explain these texts to you if I didn't believe they were true and transformative. I would get a different job. I wouldn't devote my life to the study of these texts for the life of the church if I didn't think that God had not spoken through them for his glory and for our good. I would do something else. There's one book, only one, that can transform everyone. And it can only transform because it's true. Now there's a lot of nuance that goes into that, isn't it? Because of God's creativity, because he inspired different authors, Paul and Luke and John to write different literary forms. Poet, you don't read poetry like you read a book of history, do you? Got to come at that a little bit differently. So if we're wrestling with the truthfulness of Scripture, if we're rescuing with, or wrestling with its trustworthiness, wrestling with how God speaks to in different ways, we've got to be it. We've got to give some energy to that. If we, God is revealing Himself, then we 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 owe Him something. I'm going to take this seriously. So the gospel, I don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the same way I read Revelation, right? When Matthew describes the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's describing historical events. He's describing the life of a real person. He's describing what people said and how they acted and what happened. <laughs> when John the Revel in Revelation describes a beast that comes up out of the sea, he's describing the true nature of of powers that oppose the people of God. And he's employing symbolism. And God in his wisdom decided, let's employ some different kinds of literature. And we, in our devotion, need to take that seriously. It's all true. The question is, what does it mean? And how do we understand it? And are we willing to respond to God's self-giving love with a little bit of extra energy to really wrestle with and understand what's going on here? So people ask me, and this is one of the common questions I've heard as a pastor. Why couldn't God just tell it to us straight? <laughs> Why has it got to be so confusing? Why has it got to be in Greek? <laughs> Why do we have to have symbolism? Why couldn't he just tell us? And I often say, wouldn't that, how boring would that be? <laughs> and, and how shallow would God's revelation be? He's given us these texts that we can come to again and again and again, and that the church has come to over thousands of years and found new riches and new depths and new life and new energy again and again and again. God, in his wisdom, has given us what he has given us. And he's given us history, and he's given us apocalyptic with all of its mystery. And in those deep riches, and in those great symbols, and in those 
powerful images, he communicates himself in his life, in his glory, in his beauty. And he works in us and transforms us and changes us and illumines things in us and and deals with us in life-giving ways. And he only does it in this book. It's the only one. There's only one book that can transform everyone. It can transform because it's true. So what does the transformation look like? Well, Paul sets it forth here. Verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching. Here's what the transformation looks like. You need some instruction. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for reproof. It's useful for correction. It's useful for training in righteousness. This text presupposes that we have problems. We don't always like to acknowledge our problems, but the Bible, again, knows the truth and deals in truth. And says, hey, O'Reilly, there are things for which you'll need to be reproved and corrected. Hey, Christian, there are things for which you'll need to be reproved and corrected. And that's not comfortable, is it? It's not fun when the Spirit of God begins to use the Scriptures to shine His light on dark places in our lives but again friends here's the thing we can handle it because we know he loves us you ever had somebody that you're pretty sure is out to get you tell you when you've done something wrong (laughs) it's hard to receive that isn't it you know a colleague who maybe we've had some conflicts and they're like hey why didn't you get this right And you know it's not the truth in love thing. And we kind of resist that, don't we? But maybe there are some other people in the the world, in our family or in the church or at our workplace. And we know they love us. We know they've prayed for us for years. We know that they've cared for us and they've looked after us. And when someone like that comes along and says, Hey, you know, I'm noticing some things in your life that we should talk about maybe there's some changes that need to be made. We're, we're far more open to that sort of thing, right? Because we know that person loves us. Friends, the one who inspired these texts is the one who died for us. He loves us more than we can imagine. And so when he speaks correctively, when he speaks to instruct us, he's not a schoolmaster who's just frustrated and wants us to learn our lesson so that he can get out at the end of the day and go do something else and he's just got to put up with us. He's a loving teacher who has given his life to redeem us and transform us so that he can make us new. And this is how he does it. He commands to our weaknesses. He encourages us. He instructs us. Sometimes he reproves us. 
but he always does it so that he can make us like himself, reproduce his character in us. And so the scriptures are a means of grace to that end. To transform us and to change us. To set us free from sin so that we can live wholly and completely to God in Christ in the power of the Spirit. That's why he's given us this book. Now I'm struck by verse 17. It begins, so that, and anytime you read those two words, the author of that text is giving us something of a purpose statement. Hey, here's the purpose. Here's the goal. Here's the end. This is what we're after. We've talked about how Scripture is trustworthy. It's breathed out by God. It's unique. There's no other book that he's inspired in this way. Uh, we've talked about what it's useful for. It's useful for transforming, for equipping you, for strengthening you, for correcting you, for us, and all these things. But what's the point? What's the goal? What's the end? What's the purpose? What are we after? He says two things. So that everyone, not just some, but everyone, all of us, may be proficient and equipped for good works. Did you catch that word proficient? It's a word that doesn't get used so much anymore. Proficient. What does it mean to be proficient? It means you know how to do something, doesn't it? Right? A proficient carpenter knows how to build things well. You're going to build a house, you want to be sure that your contractor is proficient. <laughs> if you're going to build a church, you want to be sure that your contractor is proficient. You better hope your pastor is somewhat proficient. <laughs> but we don't often think about the Christian life in terms of proficiency, do we? What does it mean to be a proficient Christian? To know what to do and how to do it and when to do it in ways that honor Jesus consistently. What would it take to become a proficient Christian? Well, Paul, Paul tells us what it would take. It takes teaching, it takes reproof, it takes correction, and it takes training. Just like anything else. Think about that carpenter. If you know a proficient carpenter, you know he probably had some sort of apprenticeship or some mentor. He said, hey, you know, here's how you put these pieces together and here's the way you want to do that all right what's the what's the rule measure twice cut once right you got to learn that from somebody if you want to be a proficient carpenter there's a skill set to be attained and it takes practice usually years to become proficient uh, we always hope that our physicians are proficient, don't we? <laughs> There's a skill set to be developed, a sense, an intuition. What's going on here? Are they paying attention to the symptoms? Have they got a sensibility for how to treat the things that are going on in my life and in my body? They've been trained, haven't they? There's some education involved. There's some training. They probably had some poor diagnoses at some point that needed to be reproved and corrected. We think about proficiency in all sorts of things. Even if we don't use that specific word, we understand that our professions, our vocations, parenthood. 
What does it look like to be a proficient parent? <laughs> you know, maybe by the time you get to the third or fourth kid, you're starting to figure it out or something, you know. But it takes time and training and energy and practice. What does it look like to be a proficient Christian? A proficient disciple? And Paul says to Timothy, that's why God gave us the Bible. So that we can be proficient. Now here's the thing. I meet a lot of Christians who are not proficient and struggle. And my guess is there's a correlation with how much we give, how much energy we give to the Scripture. We wonder why we're not living a victorious Christian life. Well, we may need to consider <laughs> how much of ourselves we're giving to God's Word. The only book that can transform everyone. That is given so that we can become proficient Christians. Equipped for good works. Paul says, Timothy, God gave us this book so that we can be trained in righteousness and equipped to do good things, right? To change the world. We have this book. It's all about Jesus, start to finish. Promises made in the beginning, promises kept in the end. It's all about Jesus. And if you follow him and you give yourself to knowing him through these texts, he will use you to change the world. Equipped for good work. But it's hard, isn't it? It takes time, it takes energy, it takes self-denial. John Wesley, again, understood that. And he wrote in a letter to one of his leaders these words. He said, fix some part of every day for private exercises. You ever think about the Bible as exercise? Right. You know, go to the gym to exercise. You ever think about that? Daily devotional of reading is exercise. Wesley says, fix some part of every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste which you have not. The Bible can be an acquired taste. Wesley knew that. <laughs> what is tedious at first, he says, will be pleasant afterwards. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. If you want to be proficient, whether you like it or not. And that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, if we're in school and we're training for a vocation and we want to be proficient at whatever it is we're training for, you got to go to class when you don't feel like it, don't you? Musicians, you have to keep practicing your scales when your calluses are bleeding or when your fingers are aching. Proficiency requires discipline. What is tedious at first will afterwards be pleasant, Wesley says. Whether you like it or not, read the Bible and pray every day. It is your life. There is no other way. Else you will be a trifler all your days. Anybody want to be a trifler? No. We want to be proficient. Do justice, he says, to your own soul. Give it time and means to grow. Do not starve yourself any longer. Take up your cross and be a Christian altogether. Be a Christian altogether. 
not a little bit of Christian. Not a Christian on Sundays and maybe on Wednesdays sometimes. A Christian altogether. Friends, when we neglect this book, we neglect our God and we neglect our souls and we neglect the world. There is one book given to us for training in righteousness and like all training whether it's athletic vocational any training it's hard but the benefits incomparable immeasurable even infinite so the invitation is an invitation to make a new commitment to cultivate a love for the Word of God even when it's difficult it's an invitation to pursue proficiency to read whether you like it or not whether you understand it or not just keep reading in faith that the God who shows up in Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us in faith that that God has breathed life into these words and will use them to nurture life in us you've been listening to Sermon Cast the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.